Welcome to the MASH Startup Podcast. I'm your host, Mashroom Dao. Today's episode is with a financial analyst, Sinesipo Menendra, who has some really, really interesting views on sort of the business landscape that exists, um, that has existed over the last year or so for different businesses. She has an amazing blog where she writes about um, the sort of successes and failures of really incredible businesses and entrepreneurs um, that are involved in running those businesses. Today's episode focuses specifically on perpetuity as well as um, Ndalo Media. It is a really interesting conversation. I hope that um, we can engage further on Twitter um, about what she has to say and also just um, the sort of things that she does reveal about the intricacies and the complexities of um, some of the things that have happened over the last year. Please enjoy this episode. Um, if you do so feel inclined, um, I will be linking her uh, Twitter account at the bottom of this in the bio and you can engage further and um, learn a lot more about the sort of view she has in her blog as well. Um, enjoy. The easiest one to touch on is Ndalo. So what happens with Ndalo Media. So you, you heard, I think, on radio last week, uh, one of the employees explaining the situation from their side. Yeah. On what has happened. That was a scary story. It, it, it is. But then at the same time, I also feel that... Um, I feel bad for them. I really, really, really do. The employees. The employees. Okay. I really, really, really do. But there's very little hope for them. Why is that? This is how insolvency law works in South Africa. Structure. Like your normal, you file for bankruptcy. The first person gets paid is um, secured creditors. Second person who gets paid is taxman. Third person you get paid is your laborers. Okay. So they get the balance and then your concurrent creditors. So they stand with the concurrent creditors and they get the balance of what's ever left over. Okay. So if, let's for example, your debts are sitting at about 500 rand, okay. but you only have, only have 300 rand. Okay. So they go, they just go 500 less 300. Yeah. Whatever is lost is lost. The only way to be able to recoup more is if you were to go after the directors yeah. and management in their personal capacity. How 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 um like how possible is that? Like what how, what's the chances on on getting something from there? It's expensive because what you need to prove is that they were negligent, committed fraud were otherwise doing illegal acts. You need to prove that they are to blame. Yeah. That's a very, very, very difficult thing to prove in um, specifically a business sector that's suffering. Media. Yes. Yeah. It's very difficult to prove because you have to say, what else would someone else have done? That could have been better or smarter yes. than what was done here. Yes. Yeah. That's all. Now... What... Okay... Just stepping back from the financial stuff, like what do you think like went wrong? No, it's, it's, it's a simple thing. I think a lot of people, and this is going to sound controversial, are under the false impression that Kanye Lomo is a great entrepreneur when the answer is no, she isn't, really, really isn't. Everything she's done has been effectively handed to her. She was given True Love editorship at the age of 22, straight out of varsity. Okay. Magazine sector was growing, so she literally just, <laughs> although she doubled the circulation, if you look at everyone else's numbers, they were all performing well. So it's easy mm. to look like a genius when your whole sector is growing. Yeah. From then onwards, she was given that tourism job at, in France and then had a handwritten letter Rumor has it, I can't prove it, handwritten recommendation letter to Harvard by Nelson Mandela. This was a rumor at some point. I'm not sure how true it is, but she had apparently had a very, very good application. Yep. Got into Harvard, got out of Harvard, started Destiny, Media24 funded it as part of their BE, ESD and yep. supply development program, to get, program yep. to get points because it was a, since they were a joint ownership, 
they, pre- they funded the working capital, they funded the staff outlay. So all of these things were given. None of these things were actually sweated for. Okay. So in a, in a true context, um, she doesn't know, she hasn't handled true failure. True failure. Everything's been cushioned. Yeah. The whole, which is not a bad thing, but what it does is that it doesn't teach you how to adapt when things are going bad. Yeah. So, it, so obviously, like, the last two to three, four years, the the decline of the media industry, in particular print, has been, like, aggressive, way more aggressive than, say, five, ten years ago. Yes. So you've got to take a step back from Dalo. So remember, when Media24 was still a part shareholder, Media24 used to fund their working capital requirements. Okay. Meaning that, you know, there's a collection period between agency and... Actual oh yes, yes, I do okay. know about this. <laughs> I'm a so black she, entrepreneur that works with corporates. I know all about that gap. <laughs> that gap. Yeah. She ever experienced that gap? Yes. Because Media 24 prevented it. Okay. And when Media 24 exited, so I looked at Media 24's financials. They exited around February 2015. They say in their financials they did it at a loss position. So, so in 2015, the business was already... Suffering and Media Twenty Four, the partnership had served its purpose, because which was mainly the BE. Yeah, it had served its purpose. Had served its purpose, and also they felt that, you know what, we've done a good thing. We've set a business up, you know, which is a a black-owned business. Yeah, black-owned business app, you know, and stuff like that. So they believed that it was very, very good. It was also the time when she did the whole luminous thing with Sis Judy Tlamini, Doctor Judy Tlamini. And that partnership ended also in 2015 as well. So it was just, and then she was like, okay, let me focus on my magazine, like just do the whole just media thing. But then what also helped was that they were also awarded the, in 2015 as well, these all things happened in 2015. They were also awarded the SAA tender to produce the Sao Buona magazine. Yeah. Now, like I said in my article, that thing is cash money for jam. Because you use this, it's the same stuff you have for Destiny. So you're not increasing your your, your overheads or costs. You're just having money come in. Yeah, it's very, very, very nice. It's a very, it's literally cash for jam, um, and a lot of media houses actually do it because so they do internal magazines for corporates because it's good money. You are maximizing your resources. Very, very, very smart thing to do, and you know you're getting money for jam. The issue is that as that money coming in, because you know it's a tender and it's a fixed term contract, there's no guarantee that it would it was going to be renewed. Yeah. So and then how how significant was like Sabona for Destiny? Quite significant because things went pear shape in months. After that. The contract ended around May, June 2018. Okay. So months. Months. So I don't know how I don't know the numbers personally, but mm. It was significant enough uh, that you they collapsed quite soon afterwards. It it was a significant amount of money. Sure. And it also so significant enough to actually affect the business where it couldn't run anymore. Yes. Sure. It happened in months. You remember it happened in months. Business closed down in November. Yeah. In October was when we started hearing rumors. Can't be proven that people their salaries started being late. Mm. It happened in October. November, and then things went into head first week of December. So without knowing the numbers, you must, it, it re- stands to reason that it was quite, it was a lot of, it was a lot of, it was a lot of, it was a lot of money. And also you remember, now that you've been gotten used to the money, you start spending. That's also what happened, which I think is what actually fast forwarded everything. They did the project runway, they bought the licensing rights for Project Runway. They bought the licensing rights for our magazine. What's the thinking behind doing that when sort of what really makes you money is a government contract that you have no guarantees on? It just it, It's really difficult to understand like how someone rations um, going, you know what, we're going to completely spend as much as possible. So technically she wasn't spending. She was thinking it was an investment. They, okay. The thought was that Let's bring in Al. We're going to increase our numbers, be able to sell more to advertisers. 
let's do Project Runway, it's TV, we're going to increase our numbers and, you know. But these are all strategically false moves. And the L1, L1 was very, very, was very, very stupid because everyone else, L, the reason why the L license was up for sale was because it was a loss making. So why, you know your baby's only surviving <laughs> Yeah. because of a certain contract yeah. and then at the same time you decide to take over an, another loss making operation because that's what it does yeah. so they absorbed L and then you start going to TV as you know with TV TV anyone will tell you about TV your first season on TV never makes money yeah. because you're basically you're sort of giving away <laughs> you're just getting the opportunity to be broadcast but it never makes you money everyone it's a you only start making money season number two because now you've got the numbers and the track record in order for someone to be able to invest in you. Yeah. So you invest, even though you've got sponsors, there are still things that you are paying. Yeah. You're, you're, even though it was a very sponsored uh, program, you are still getting, um, you are still getting, you're still putting some money down. It's not costing you nothing. That yeah. thing is it's not costing you nothing. So if you look at that aspect of it, and then there was the whole... I think people are still, people have not cracked how to monetize digital models. So Disney Connect was there as the first platform. That was something that I, I was like really curious about is whether or not they could just, you know, the print, I understood when they said, look, the print is not working, you know, we have to downsize this part of the business. I was like, cool, downsize that part of the business. Makes absolute sense, you know. Um, last year we saw Glamour say, you know what, we done, we cool. Um, Marie Claire, Claire oh, still. Apologize. Asanda. Apologies. Claire <laughs> <laughs> Marie Claire. Marie Claire. Just say, look, guys, okay, cool. This is great, but maybe it doesn't work. And internationally, there's this trend of print going, you know what? We're just going to pivot to audio. We're going to pivot to video. We're going to pivot to whatever else is digital because this print thing isn't what's going to take us into the future. So, so like, what... Why couldn't they just go, okay, Destiny Connect is at a strong position as a brand on its own. Why not, like, triple down on that and go into video, go into audio, go into, you know... So, Destiny Connect at some point was getting 500,000 hits, impressions. They, I looked on their website per month. But also at the same time, they had a very high overhead in terms of staff. As you know, they, are, they, they had lots and lots of people. Yeah, like you, you heard the numbers of seventy-two, which I was shocked by. I don't know they had employed so many people. Um, digital is not where digital is not there yet in from a South African context. It's not there yet. A lot of people keep saying digital, digital, but if you look at the numbers for digital, they are mere fractions. And I mean mere fra when I say mere fractions, they're below. They're hovering around eight percent. So and they haven't. They've been growing. Yes. But they're not at the level where people still want print. People still want print, but at the same time, you haven't gone. We haven't. We haven't gone into the. No one has cracked the digital market in South Africa at all. No one has. People have tried, and for me, we've, people have tried. We've done it with budgets. Yeah. Have tried. They've because what they've done is that they've seek to replicate the magazine content onto digital format. And they have not sort of rethought that for this aspect of them, of this of this product offering, we need to sort of reject it. They mm. haven't. It literally, if you were to go, you Cosmo magazine, Cosmo online, same thing. They have they, they view it as an extension, but they haven't viewed that you need to communicate differently. Oh, they don't look at it as a different medium. Yes, it, they view it as a replica of their magazine, which I think is quite false, and that's where they're all falling apart is that even if you look at your online magazines um, that have recently started coming out, these boutique um, sort of online magazines, they all have done the same thing, which is a replication of a real magazine. No one has thought, which is where I always say, is like, no one has thought, okay, this is digital. I need to actually change my strategy. I can't be reproducing the same content, just make it digital. That's silly, and it's also, it's devoid of sight. Yeah. That's why their numbers have not been growing the way they've done. So if you're attracting digital, what does someone who wants digitally, what are their requirements versus someone who's print? So print, I'm in my house, I read through it, I sit down, I'm casual. 
digital, I'm usually in bed, wake up, open my phone. So because of that, people have not thought, how do I optimize my online solution for phones? So would you say something like BuzzFeed, where literally the content is designed to be for people that are on their phones, on the app, quick, literally three, 30 seconds, you can go through a BuzzFeed ad, uh, BuzzFeed like piece of content or whatever. Do you think we're just not like where at the point where the creators themselves are even going, you know what, I need to create this content for digital, not necessarily just to be, you know, used as an extension to digital? They haven't thought that far. So I, I, I've, that, I think we, we were talking about it earlier. That's why I call them all a Ponzi scheme, because the day someone figures it out, day someone figures it out, it, it's tickets. Like, it's absolutely tickets. They don't think that. That's why I, was, uh, I, I even tweeted about it a while ago, which is that it needs to go, you need to create an experience. So BuzzFeed was also seeing fire flames because, you know, they retrenched quite a few people last year. Yeah. Last year. And you, you sort of, like, need to, you need to reimagine how it works. So getting back to Ndalo, that's where they're failing. So that's where the failing was with digital in that although they had, they had the best thing, they had the engagement numbers, they just did not know what to do with them. And they did not know how to sort of generate revenue from them. Yeah, that, that was going to be my next question. Is like, so the, 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 did so they the, understand how to convert that into money? No. Very few people in content creation, actually, in, from a second perspective, besides makeup and beauty, which works, because it's a how-to. It's based on how-to, basically how-to principle. Every other content creator that looks at anything else has yet to figure this part out. Everybody is sort of taking a guessing game and I'm, I'm sort of watching how they're doing it and I'm seeing, that's why I keep calling them Ponzi schemes. <laughs> because I, I feel that the one day, cause the, the numbers are not there and they're not sustainable. Yeah. And also at the same time, um, our country's creative, creatives are devoid of original thinking. That's very, yeah. that's very bold to say. Devoid, they are devoid. They are devoid. I've, it's only getting back to another topic. I've been dealing with creatives for the first time in my life. I'm 31 this year. And this is the first year in my life I've dealt with creative people. And every week I want to scream. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to scream. I've never experienced such. People in media, I've never... I, 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 creatives I are, are, uh, a are a unique bunch. A unique bunch. I want to scream. I want to scream every week. I'm like, I would fire you on the spot. Yeah. yeah I would, and I think it's, 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 I think it's because I'm an accountant. I'm very structured in my thinking. So oh, yeah. I don't do anything without having looked at it, analyzed it, and seen where are sort of like the weak spots that I could exploit. So Destiny has one of the things that even Cosmo, Associated Media... They all have numbers, engagement numbers that I think some people would die for, but they've yet to crack it. And you've got the guys who've got lower audience numbers, they were able to generate revenue, but they know at the scale that they should be. So I say that, that's why I say someone, someone needs to figure it out. Figure it out. And once the day they figure it out, it's tickets for everyone else. It literally, it will, it's a, once the model worked, so there needs to, but I, I like the fact that people are sort of trying as they're going along. Okay, so before we move on to the next one, right? Mm. Um, what would you say is like the conclusion of the Ndalo uh, media situation? Like, where does it end? Do the employees have a happy ending at the end of this? Um, like, can this business be revived? What are we looking at as a conclusion? So this is what the most negative is going to happen. The employees are all going to cry for us for the next year, and we're going to hear about sob stories. Um, then we're going to go into they're going to go into Kanye's personal life and personal habits, i.e., her expenditure on herself. They're going to they're going to go into the designers, designer goods. They're not going to get anything. The reason why they had to go to CCMA was because of what I said about earlier in terms of where they rank in terms of creditors. Um, so for me. The only thing that the best thing they can hope for is that she pays the outstanding UIF, PAYE, mm. and the pensions, that stuff. But them getting severance packages, although they were promised, highly unlikely because they would have to go to court and they would have to prove negligence and negligence, fraud, and 
although she all she has to do is pay those costs. Once those costs pay, you settle SARS, you settle SARS and make sure people get their pensions at least, their pension fund contributions at least, and unemployment insurance at least. Things like severance packages, outstanding wages. Most likely, they're going to get sent to the rand. Like one of the in one of the things they were saying, they said that one of the ladies who was on on seven hundred two said that she was going to get about ten cents to the rand, which is most likely what they'll get. Um, then Kanye will reappear probably with a new business venture, and everyone will co-support her. Um, that's what's going to happen because Africans have got very short memories and. She has a lot of brand equity, social equities. Because when I wrote the article last week, last year, at the end of last year, because I'd been working on it for a while and I was just watching it. So I, it was literally me putting down to pen my thoughts already. And a lot of people were commenting, saying, um, they're like, how do I insult the great Kanin Lomo? And all, all I could think to myself was like, you don't know this person. You are being presented with someone's skills. That's why I said it was, it's very important to understand the context of her success and look at it and say, this is how she became who she is. Not to say she doesn't work hard, but there were things were put in place. So because they were put in place, a lot of people seem to then articulate that to some level of business acumen when all it is is literally being at the right place, having the right surname, right social capital, also having financial capital to back you up. So what's going to happen is they're going to get the sense to the rand. Um, she'll reappear and, yeah, it all will be forgotten. How, how crazy is that we actually have to just accept that as a reality in the culture of our entrepreneurship landscape, business landscape, and just like corporate governance landscape? That sounds so wild. No, it's because you, you have to prove. Remember, I made the contrast to Aurora. Remember Aurora? Aurora Goldmines, that Kulubusa Zuma. yeah, yeah. yeah. They did something different. So they, what they did is that they bought a mine in liquidation. In liquidation. They then didn't pay employees. They ran it for five months. They didn't pay employees. They didn't pay, pay creditors. They sold the company's plant and equipment. And they also sold about circa 117 million rand worth of gold, sold equipment. And then they also sank the mine shaft. They, they sank the mine shaft. So the employees didn't get money in 2000, and this was around 2009, 2010, around then. The solidarity, the union had to fund the court case all the way to the Supreme Court of Appeal. This thing went on only last year, oh, and it's not everyone who's getting paid, because what they did is that they also had to um, sequestrate the directors, get rulings to get the directors. This is a long process, and the question is, do... Do the Ndalo Media employees have the money to fund the case? I can tell you right now, a good lawyer, and this is just average, it's not even someone who's high up in the lawyer chain, you're looking at about 3,000 rand an hour. Yeah. And these, four, these are cases that have been going for a couple of years. If it wasn't for certain NGOs and Solidarity, the union funding the Aurora Miners case, and, it, and they still didn't get, not everyone still got paid, some, some, some of the employees died. Some of the employees died over the, the years of waiting, and it was just a PR mess. Everyone said, but the truth be told is that if you want to go after, they can, but I can guarantee you now we'll be in the year 2020-something, and it would have been like they still haven't gone paid. So at some point, it's not that the length of time and the amount of money that's required to fight this case for me, it just doesn't seem worth it. Sure, that's quite scary. Um, okay, so I'm gonna try and bring this back home <laughs> after that dose of reality, right? Um, so this is a different sort of episode than I've done before. So usually I just chat to entrepreneurs, but I thought that just sort of the things that you were writing in your blog, the sort of things that you were tweeting about, what they said to me was like, there's a bigger game being played, especially that is very financial, um, very accounting-based, very investment-based, that is highly, highly necessary to understand, to understand the business world as well. So that's the main reason why I brought you on. And like, unfortunately, this is mid-podcast, but like, can you introduce yourself? <laughs> oh my goodness, this whole time, this whole time, oh my goodness. Um, so my name is Usinesipo Maninjwa. 
I am a CA by trade, and I work in financial transaction advisory. So I sit on the advisory side of these things. So many moons ago, um, I used to be in banking. I used to sit on credit. So I used to be in the credit, and I used to take care of a lot of clients. So I was the person that said no all the time. I used to be a professional rejecter. Okay. <laughs> professional. So that, that's why I'm so, I'm about, that's why I know the ranking of creditor. Mm. My insolvency law background comes from the fact that I used to be a secured creditor. Because mm. you know banks, we don't take nonsense like risk. I'm not about that life. I was yeah. never about that life. <laughs> I take secured, I used to be the secured mm. creditor and I used to have, I used to watch employees. That's why the Dalo thing hurt me so much. I used to watch them, hear them cry. Oh my God, my kids. And it would break my heart. But as a secured creditor, I could never just, give up my position because I represent banks, banks which carry money for the likes of me and you. I was yeah. there to remember that. I then worked at a DFI that I can't mention. What's a DFI? I used to work with Development Finance Organization. Oh, cool. Um, I used to work at Development Finance Organization. Hence, I'm aware our client was luminous at some point. That's why I know what went wrong. Okay. <laughs> That's how I know. But I can't, you know, disclose certain things. Yeah. You know, certain things I can't disclose. Oh, no. I, I don't expect you to compromise no, yourself. No, I don't. I don't. I hit at it every now and then. So when someone says, you don't know what you're talking about, I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I because just, people just, don't I, even know that background. So I came from... And then I worked in corporate finance for a bit. And then... Because I did a lot of BE deals... We did a lot of BE deals, transaction advisory, capital raisings, and now I'm still in financial advisory, but now I'm in, I do projects, so I'm in infrastructure finance. So how things get built, and very, I'm very, very into project development. Very, very into project development. And okay. So I moved away from VC, venture capital, to realizing that we need to not look at venture capital. We need to look at things that... I'm about creating business models that employ some of my family members. Not yeah. something that's elite, that's cool kid driven, like, I always find, that's why I call them all Ponzi schemes, cool kid driven. I'm into things that build and sustain because I'm into generational legacy wealth. You do not create legacy wealth unless you start building. And you have to start building with people that look like yourself. And that is sort of like my thinking. So it has, it's moved away from other things to more critically looking at where do my skills um, are suited best. And yeah, so last year I started Ayabonga um, Tawe. I've always known, I've known Aya for a while. We actually met at a, an Abasa event. I think I insulted him. I think I insulted him, Shane. Yeah, so <laughs> I think I insulted him. And then we just kept in contact. And when he took over Andile's show on Power FM, uh, and Alicia on Power FM, I was like, hmm, I've got an idea. I felt that also the standard of financial reporting was quite weak. I'm, I'm a very critical person, so very being a critical person, I promise you, like, I'm actually kinder on my tweets. <laughs> I think people don't really understand. I'm kinder. I'm not really as kind as yeah. I. I'm kinder because I always have to think about how does it make someone feel I felt that the, the, the standard of reporting on transactions was a bit biased and also factually incorrect. And I noticed that people didn't read, and I like to read. So I consume knowledge like no one. You, I outread most people. 99% of people work. When people say they know something about a topic, that's why I know so much about so many things. And people call me a walking, talking encyclopedia, is that I read a lot. Once I, once I find something that interests me, I want to know absolutely everything about it. Okay. it, it I get obsessed. It's a, it's a, it becomes an obsession level. So I decided to talk corporate finance deals um, on PowerFM. So that was that last year. And then I just started writing as an extension because I wanted to... Some people were not catching my conversation and I also started writing. And then this year, I made the decision to be more public with myself also and sort of like create some sort of level of brand. And I started understanding so who were some of my competitors in the business world. And I felt that I'm in the position of being someone who studied it, which makes me, you know, I'm, I live and breathe this thing. And I also happen to 
start and I'm able to articulate it to someone else. So that's sort of like where I'm going and sort of what I'm interested on is I love business models. I love transactions. It's my thing. It literally is my <laughs> thing. So <laughs> I agree with that. Because so the first thing that like I did read from you and I was very passionate about um reading it was just like what happened with Maboning. And obviously, you know, when you're just an outsider or just a consumer or just a visitor or whatever they call us, right? You go there and you go, oh, this is really cool. This is amazing. This is, you know, 30 plus buildings looking amazing. And it's it's the dream. It's someone completely revitalizing the inner city to work for the new generation of people coming in, right? So, you know, I, I go through Joburg every other day and most of it is just not anywhere where you want to hang out. You don't want to chill. You don't want to hang out with your friends. You genuinely just want to go there, do what you need to do, and get the hell out as safely as possible, right? And what Mawaneng sort of created was this, like, little hub of creativity, of ingenuity, of new spirit, of young people trying to do something that was completely different. And I think the first time I went there was, I'd say, three, four, five years ago. And I saw all these small businesses popping up, which is everything that I care about, right? As long as I see entrepreneurs and small businesses building something amazing, I'm excited, right? So I saw this and there was all these, you know, shops popping up, all these entrepreneurs talking, telling their story. And it was incredible. And then I read your article a few weeks ago and I was just like, it was all a lie. <laughs> So to me, it just like seems so crazy that this thing that I was looking at as the ultimate version of entrepreneurship, creativity, ingenuity, innovation, just like complete amazingness was not. What happened? Number one, the problem with Maboneng, okay, for me personally, for me personally, the problem with Maboneng will always be the fact that it was for the exclusion of poor black people. So you saw entrepreneurs, you saw um, people opening up businesses. I saw the fact that people were displaced because they couldn't afford to be there anymore. I saw it as an ex exclusive conclave. It was gentrification. And yep. it was done on a large scale, sponsored by corporate and supported by government. I'm for inner city revitalization, but I'm for inner city revitalization that is inclusive. Yeah. Maboneng was never inclusive. No, that definitely Disease. wasn't. And so it was bound to fail because of that. That is its biggest failing point. So um, it was a great vision. I, I still believe in the vision of inner city renewal. I'll always believe in inner city renewal because as much as we all may think it's unsafe, town is the most central place to live in in Johannesburg. It is the most central place to live in Johannesburg. It is a lot of people work in town, so we need to make town work. And they need to, it needs to be able to work for poor black people, not just um, some hippie kids from Athol who are bored with their lives and some creatives. So when you look, look at the creatives, even you who were the class of entrepreneurs? It was, yes, there were a lot of black entrepreneurs, yes, but it was middle-class black entrepreneurs. So I am for things that are inclusive and also building sustainability. So if you look at that on those premise alone, that's why it was bound to fail, because it was never going to scale up. There was always going to be a cap. Yeah. If you look at it that way. So that was how I thought of it. And um, no, it was just, it was also monopoly money. <laughs> Jonathan was a, had created a great vision. And it's insane to think at 24, he was like, let me just buy a few buildings. Let me just do this. And he had the financial backing to do it. So it's, it's insane, and you'll always be remembered as the founder of Maboneng. But how, what Maboneng needs to evolve to phase two, this is the real phase two, is that how it can become more inclusive and then it will grow scale. So um, the COJ announced um, program home in Meshava, um, I think yesterday or Monday, uh, where they were talking about their, they've, they've procured developers to revitalize revitalize inner city and to look at looking more inclusive models. Yeah. So you always have to look at for it what it was. Um, with Mabuneng, it was literally a function of over debt, 
it was over indebted and the money just wasn't coming in fast enough. And it wasn't coming in fast enough because they had reached um, sort of capacity. They couldn't grow anymore. The apartments that they um, were refurbishing and then selling off, people couldn't afford to buy them. People couldn't afford to buy them. Because remember, they were selling the apartments for crazy money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For crazy money. Yeah. That's what happened. So they couldn't, they couldn't find a market for people to buy into their properties. That, 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 that's number one. Number two, the rentals that they were charging weren't sufficient to sort of cover your bank borrowings. And this, is, this is like... So my thing is like, so I'm looking for a place to move to, right? And I looked at Mabone. I was like, this is insane. Like, this is crazy. Because you could literally go one street next door and it's not Mabuneng anymore. And you literally drop the rental price by 3,000 rand. Like, by, like, it's actually a significant amount drop simply because that's not called Mabuneng. Yes, it's, that, that's the problem. They couldn't find that is actually... So that's what the fundamentally business-wise what went wrong. If you unpack it and you're like, okay... You were creating an exclusive conclave, and also they used to spend a lot of money on security. Like, I'm not sure how you feel. I used to always say, guys, I would go to my morning, I'm like, guys, by six o'clock, when the sun starts to set, we need to go because this place is far and it's dark. I'm not sure if you've driven out in my morning. Yeah. <laughs> it's dark. I fear for my life. Yeah. When I'm leaving, I fear for my life. And I was like, no. So that, so those, those are the separate things that you have to think about, which is those are the things that made it inaccessible. So they did it as a way or as a barrier of entry so that poor people can't move in there, that a certain class of people would move in there, they'd be willing to sort of like fund. And then when those numbers were not growing, because you're, you're, you're fundamentally, remember, it's, it was like um, playland in the middle of hell. That's actually, that's one of my friends' description of it. Well, I mean, I wouldn't mm. call Joburg hell. No, but that's how it's been. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like the nice aspect. And that's fundamentally what it was. So that's fundamentally what it was. So you had, that's why I could never grow. So when he was buying all these buildings, he never thought in his head he wanted to create a place for white cool kids, creatives, to hang out that's devoid of black people. That's the way it's built. There was no thought of, okay, I need to crowd out. I can't be owning all these buildings. I need to get other people to go. We need to find a way to integrate the city. Yeah. That conversation never happened. Because if they had thought about that conversation when they were still building it, it would have made more sense. And also you wouldn't reach the cap so easily. Yes, because it means that you are, if you want to create a neighborhood, or you're like literally a neighborhood of cool kids, because that's what it was, neighborhood of cookies. All the businesses came from there. <laughs> All the pricing, even the restaurant pricing wasn't cheap. Insane. Wasn't insane. insane. Everything, Everything was, wasn't, it, it, was expensive. It was expensive. So you basically, you are creating a place for people for a certain breed without looking at your neighborhood. It's selfish. It's the problem of gentrification. And yeah. So that's what went. Those are the fundamental things that went wrong. So... You hit, you hit the, once you hit the cap, it was tickets. And it, so how, how do you think they could have done it different? Like, be more inclusive? Or, like, how do you make something that's supposed to, that you spend so much money on, sustainable um, and accessible while still remaining profitable? They never thought of that. It wasn't, it, it wasn't the purpose of Maboneng was never to be inclusive. You're missing sort of like that link. The founder vision wanted to create a place for him and his friends and people like himself. Remember, uh, businesses are an extension of the entrepreneur. You're sort of modeling mini, miniature versions of yourself. It's yeah. an ego trip, basically. So it was never meant to be inclusive. So you, you can't, I can't even, you can't, it's not something they thought about or something that they wanted to do. It was never in the plan. However, what they didn't think about is the cap that I was talking, we were talking about earlier. Mm. And where could you grow to? Once they started hitting that cap, because they wanted to retain, remember a lot of it, remember, even to this day, they still want to retain that level of exclusivity, hub within a hub. So it's not in there, it's not, it's not a part of the architecture version. I'm just saying that the next person, the guys who are building around the building, 
for them not to have the same problems that they might only have 10 years from now, they need to think of how to sort of like bridge the gap. Yeah, and, and become more inclusive. And become more inclusive because you hit a gap. It's not like the US where gentrification has happened and poor black people have been displaced and in large numbers and there's no way of them getting back. It's not like Cape Town, like my, one of my ex-boyfriends used to say this to me, Cape Town is perfect apartheid planning. That's what Cape Town is. Joburg yeah. is not like that. Because of that, you've got to think of the people around you. The only time you don't have to think about people around you is if you are building in Joburg North. Yeah. Where they are not existing. But until, if you're going in that specific part of you, that's what you need to think of. It needs to be part of your business plan. So for me, you can't think of the people that are there now. You've got to think about the person who's going to buy over them now. Because you're going to hit the cap. You're going to... You, 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 because there's just not enough people with money in South Africa. Yeah, there's so, just not enough to so, support it. If we talk about the investment that they took from, um, I hope I don't get this wrong. Was this from RMB? RMH Rand Merchant Investment okay. Holdings. Just break that down. Like, what was the need to take the investment one, and then two, why wouldn't the investment be able, the guys that were doing the investment, be able to tell? that this was something that was not going to work long-term? You have to understand, I work in investments. So as an investor, you are not looking to change the entrepreneurial direction. You are buying into an existing proven model. At the time they made the investments, the numbers were looking good, and the understanding was that they were going to continue, and they were going to continue the same track. Remember, your goal as an investor is not to dictate how a business runs. Now, however, when they started getting involved... A lot of what made uh, how perpetuity was run, specifically because of, and I think it has to do mainly with Jonathan's age and also the people that he surrounded himself with, is that he, it was a very relaxed entrepreneurial environment. You are an institutional investor. You want some structure. So they weren't as structured. Like governance, collections were late. Like, because if uh, so, basically, what one example someone gave me was that let's say as you had a small business and your rent was like you would just talk to the guy and it's like okay I'm struggling and they're like no it's fine. They had that it was a very although it was a business to make money, a lot of it was based on relationships. Yeah, that's actually so. So that's part of so when RMH getting got involved, they sort of like, you have to institutionalize. And you've got to like, because we've got to report to shareholders. So why did they need the money? Oh, they needed the money to buy more buildings. Remember, okay. it's very capital intensive. Property development requires a balance sheet. And they hit the cap on their current balance sheet. So the idea was to source more funding for growth. Okay. That was, it's literally same principle to source more funding for growth. It's, um, so funding is a catalyst for your business. So you can never reach, like you say, you, you can never go to a certain level by yourself. There comes a point in time when you need a sort of like a big brother with a balance sheet to, in order you to, for you to scale up. That's yep. the purpose of funding, is for you to scale up to be a catalyst for further growth. Yeah. So that is sort of like, that's how most entrepreneurs, so when I hear entrepreneurs say, no, no, I'm going to try to avoid funding. I'm like, no, funding is good for you because you need to look at it as a scale. Once you have proof of concept, Scale. Yeah. That's what it's that. It allows you to scale and it allows you to scale while still being operationally in charge of the business. Mm-hmm. So that's why they needed the money and yeah. So why didn't it work out? Uh, so remember what I said in the article, which is they were still going on the same trajectory. The sales, because the economy has downturned, the sales were not coming in the way they used to come in before the investment, before they onboarded the investment. Yeah. So you're now having to extend further facilities. And they started realizing, oh my goodness, we're in too much debt. So they then did the capital raise because when they bought in, they owed about they earned about 34%, that moved to 49%. And they really tried, but they realized that this thing is never meant to make, we're never gonna recoup what we bought in. And yep. because they bought in at the top end of the cycle. Also a big mistake. So as you're in, they bought in at the top end when it was performing its absolute best. Yeah. 
And also, as the economy was downturning, which is a failing of most entrepreneurs, even when we were talking about Dallo, when things will start going bad, you need to right-size your business immediately. Yeah. But most entrepreneurs, and this is just factual, are delusional. Most entrepreneurs always are very optimistic. Very, They believe that I'm betting this with all my life. And you know they, they truly, truly believe it. Whereas the first sign of trouble, you're supposed to adapt, pivot immediately. Mm. Not pivot one year from now. Time is money. Pivot immediately. So when things started, the economy started down to it, they should have started rationalizing the buildings then, slowly. Mm. Before people can see that you're bleeding. Yeah. That's what you do. You start rationalizing your team slowly. And there's actually quite similarities between Kani and so many similarities. What would you say those similarities are? Just that idea of like understanding when to pivot or when to adjust. What, what else would no, you... No, it's, it's privilege. They're both born into privilege. Different privileges because Jonathan had Jewish money. Yeah. Kanye had black middle class parents, um, access to great social networks. So it's the same principles. There's something that struggling teaches you and building something when no one believes that you can do it. Yeah. And not being handed that teaches you. So it teaches you certain things that um, being cushioned doesn't. And that's fundamental. They're actually quite similar. Naivety, naivety. Because you're, if someone gives you, like if someone were to give you a million rand to start your dreams, like, and there was no limit to what you can do. Yeah. You wouldn't think twice about spending money. Definitely. You would go with exactly what, what your hearts desire. There's definitely like a mentality that's different there. Yes. So that's why I say sometimes some entrepreneurs are born. It's entrepreneurship comes out of necessity or opportunity. Necessity because you have to. Yeah. Opportunity because someone just gave it to you. Mm. There's nothing you did that could have earned it. Just because you're making it work. The problem is that when things, a cycle is what exposes you. So someone says, um, my former boss used to always talk about the fact that when you're making money, when everyone's making money, you're not a genius at all. You're just, you're not a genius. Yeah. Because remember, Innes Atubinio was, he, he got in at the absolute right time. Mm. Nice guy. I think it was, it was around the time that Brown was also having its own thing as well. And it was, so and it was and definitely and like a hype around it. You had those urban development. That's why I talked about those tax incentives. Do you know they were allowing you to write off half in three years? 50% in three years. So you buy a building for one million rand. Taxman says 500,000 off. Write-offs. Sure. Write-offs. You're only recouping when you're selling. Those things are limiting your tax expenditure. They help a lot. Supportive tax regimes help a lot. Those incentive structures that government do make it, 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 literally your returns are, like they become astronomical. He was making better returns than your other property developers in the north, even though you were selling units at the same price. Mm. Because the support of tax regime was helping access to money. All these things are there to, because the government has a specific aim that they're trying to push through. So you've got to look at those, those similarities. And when you're handed things, doesn't mean that you're... I'm not saying that um, privilege is a bad thing. Privilege is a very bad thing because I consider myself a privileged person. There's sorts of things I've had that have come naturally for me, but there's sorts of things I've also worked on, but I know how to pivot. Mm. I, know, I know for a fact I know how to pivot. Other people also, because people are like, they also don't want to be embarrassed. Mm. Embarrassed. Because like I said, the minute you start seeing things going pear-shaped, you need to cut. You need to be so brutal about it. You need to start your Section 189 retrenchment process that day. You don't wait. Mm. You do it that day. So is there a bit of a lag in that comes with the delusion in both companies where people are going, you know what, we're going to ride this. We're going to keep investing, whether it's buying buildings or buying content properties. We're going to keep putting into this until it works. Yes. Like I said, delusion. Entrepreneurs are delusional. I've dealt with entrepreneurs my whole professional life. All of them exhibit signs of delusion. You're like, dude. And people, I think failing, failing when you have nothing is easy. 
failing publicly, because remember, these are both high-profile. You're being featured. You're being honored left, right, and center. That level of pressure, you feel that you can't fail and you can't be honest. So you stop having honest conversations with yourself. Mm. And also, you're surrounded by people who are enamored by you but are not keeping you in check. Mm. Say, it's literally, even Elon Musk, delusion. There's a level of delusion. Best, smartest thing that Mark Zuckerberg did was scale up his team. Yeah. Smartest thing ever. He increased, he changed, if you look at his team, Mark is the youngest. Mm. And it's been that way for... Look, the, I mean, look, I wouldn't say that that's like the best example, especially with the sort of things that team does. Yes, but, but they, <laughs> they allow them to grow. Um, ethics aside, ethics, ethics aside, aside. I'm always like, ethics aside. Jesus, I don't think that's something we can ever do. I'm like, ethics aside, because if you, if, you, if, you, if you get into a morality play, you're going to miss sort of like the, the teaching of what I'm trying to say, which is at that point, that's where I was like, I sort of see how they got to delusion, but it's delusion nonetheless. I see, I see it. And most entrepreneurs, you know, some people can prove me right. Some people can prove me wrong. I'm, I'm open to be pre- being proved wrong, but I've seen it time and time again when things start looking bad. Like, because I think people, they view their business as an extension of who they are. Mm. Like, it's soul crushing. That's the, so I'm pretty sure both Kanye and Jonathan, they're not okay emotionally. Like, no one is okay emotionally because it's public failure. Mm. And it's, 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 it's quite different when you... And then you, you also hit with a shitter with a coulda. Mm. Maybe if I did this, maybe I did this. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But it's also quite normal. Businesses fail all the time. We make the decisions based on the information we have at hand at that spot. It doesn't always work out, unfortunately. And, you know, you know, it's, I, I can't help but say that it's just part of the game. It's part of the game. That's true. We're definitely going to do this again. Just write another article. <laughs> what? Thank you so much. Even though the Kanye people are going to hate me when I told them that this woman was in think about it it's difficult to, it's a difficult pill to swallow am i stopping this or not i don't know stop you can press stop okay thank you so much